Hello, listeners. Kathy Lawless here, Life Story Curator, bringing you this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people who are just starting out in their careers, in transition, or possibly feeling stuck, giving them access to stories who are in similar positions, either established in their careers, maybe in transition, or who have overcome being stuck. So today I'm very excited to be interviewing John Garrett, who I met through our Strategic Connections Networking Group. And uh, welcome, John. No, thank you so much. This is going to be awesome. And uh, John is a fellow podcaster. He is a keynote speaker and a consultant in the, I guess, uh, I would say corporate culture space. Yeah, yeah, that works. And the name of your business is uh, Recovering CPA? Well, that's how people know me. I don't really Mm -hmm. have a a business name per se, Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, just kind of under my name, I guess. Well, and I love the tagline, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. But um, before we get into what you're doing today and how you got there, I always like to start with some icebreakers so that the audience gets to know a little bit about who you are and how you as a person kind of develops. Sure. Starting out, let's talk about where did you grow up, how many siblings, where you are in the birth order, and how you think that influenced you. Yeah, I'm the oldest of two boys. Uh, My brother is four years younger, uh, and my dad was career Air Force. So we grew up everywhere. Um, I think I went to 10 schools, including college. So um, yeah, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, but I don't remember that at all because when I was uh, nine months old, we moved to St. Louis on the Illinois side. And then we were there for a couple of years. Then we were in uh, South New Jersey and then we were in uh, D.C. And then we were in Dayton, Ohio. Then we lived in the Azores for two years, which are islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and then we were in, uh, back in St. Louis. Um, and then that's where my dad retired. And uh, yeah, so that's oh, wow. home, I guess, is St. Louis. That's where I went to okay. high school. Yeah, I guess and, uh, where do you call home, you know? Yeah, that... yeah. I mean, it's, uh, that's where I was the longest. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so just a little bit of everywhere. But mm-hmm. mostly small towns, uh, mostly Midwest. Um, small towns outside of a big city. So within like 30 miles of, of a big city. That so. would make sense because that's, that's where a lot of the, the military. Yeah, and I mean, it, it depends on uh, what like branch of the military of course uh and then also uh within the air force what kind of a role and my dad was more uh, uh like supply and logistics oh. so he wasn't a fighter pilot or anything cool like that <laughs> like you know all the little kids, all the kids in elementary school or is your dad oh, a pilot yeah, yeah. no you know, uh, like, no <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right so uh but yeah it was uh it was growing up it was uh it was hard um, because especially when I was in the middle of sixth grade, you know, outside of Dayton, Ohio, I was on a select soccer team that traveled and was in student council and pretty, you know, had a lot of friends. And then to get ripped out of that and dropped in an island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, um, that was hard, really wow. hard. Um, but looking back on it now, uh, it, uh, it definitely gave me a lot of skills because I've met so many people uh, from so many places and so many different backgrounds. And I've lived in so many parts of the country that I can pretty much relate to everyone yeah. <laughs> uh, in some way. Uh, and so that, that definitely comes in handy now um, as, as, as an adult. Did it bring you closer to your brother because you had to rely on each other? Or are you close with your brother? Yeah, definitely close. Um, And uh, we did, uh, my mom was really good at making them adventures. And and it also taught me that um, when you're only going to live in a city for two or three years, you do everything that city has to offer. And so it's, it's, you know, when I travel now or or even where living in Denver now, um, 
you know, it's taking advantage of everything that's here because uh, so many of us live in a city, grew up in a city, grew up in an area, and we don't do any of the things because, oh, I'll get to it one yeah, day. Yeah, I'll get or, to it. Yeah. yeah. There's and, uh, time. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there were kids uh, that my brother went to elementary school with uh, who their first time into downtown St. Louis was their fourth grade trip. And they grew up 27 miles away. Oh, wow. And, 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 you know, and so, you know, for us, that's just what we did, you yeah. know. And so, so it's, there's, there's pluses and minuses to it for sure. And yeah. I just try to focus on the pluses. Um, and now with Facebook and social media, it's cool. I've been able to reconnect with a lot of the people that I went to elementary school with that I didn't have the opportunity to play on the state you know, soccer team yeah. or, you know, anything like that. Um, and go and, from K from K all the way up to 12, right? Yeah, and yeah. Those and lifelong and friendships, those, those people but... that, that, you know, other people have that experience. And, you know, I never did. Um, but uh, but now I've been able to reconnect with them, and that's been cool. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned soccer. Uh, what other sports? Yeah, I mean, I growing up, I played uh, soccer and baseball uh, mostly. I played football one year. Um, but yeah, but soccer was definitely my sport. Deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I played baseball. I was really good at baseball until a uh, curveball came. And also at the same time, the ball started hissing as when it came to the plate, like, cause they were throwing them faster. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe that, that hurts. So I'm not yeah. going to do that one anymore. If there was like all, like in, in the American league, there's of course the designated hitter. I would be designated fielder. Like I was really good at defense. Like I was really good. Don't put me at the plate. Though. Yeah, just don't let me hit because I'm not going to hit it. <laughs> like you know. So, but yeah, but soccer was more my thing. Okay, and yeah. then um, musical instruments. We were talking earlier about. Yeah, yeah. I was in the marching band at Notre Dame, um, and I played the trombone. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I grew up uh, playing the piano, and then um, you know, of course, I think every third grader gets a recorder or whatever it is you know the little hot cross buns type of thing with the plastic (laughs) uh, thing yeah and then uh yeah I did went from that to uh yeah tried out a couple of different instruments but just settled on the trombone and Mm -hmm. uh yeah was able to do that at uh, Notre Dame the oldest marching band in the country which is pretty awesome and uh yeah so it it was pretty cool to be a part of that cool yeah and do you speak any other languages uh, pig Latin, does that count? <laughs> I'm proficient. <laughs> that scares me that you're proficient in that. I could never master that. Never. My brain just, I'm like. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. when, you're, when you're bored in high school, you get really good at that. You get really that. good and at then, that. Yeah. Okay, two last questions. One is on the scale of one to five on the fun meter. Yeah. One being couch potato and five being life a party. Where where do you put yourself you on know, the fun meter? like, that's. That's an interesting question because, I mean, with my comedy background, most people I think would think I would be a, a seven or a 10 and I'm not, I don't, I don't like to be the center of attention, uh, when I'm not on stage. Um, you know, I, I like to have fun and I think that I'm a fun person to be around, but I don't have to be center of the, the, the party life mm-hmm. of the party center of the attention, all that. Um, so I don't know what that means on your scale. I might've messed it all up, but, uh, but something along those lines would, would yeah, may, uh, let's say a three, I don't know. Like that sounds like, pretty fair. And, uh, and, yeah. Variety of answers to that and it's yeah. you know I had one gal say well from nine to five here's my fun meter uh, and from five to nine I you know I have a different five yeah, you know, different yeah. um, different fun meters yeah, so. yeah anyway so I'm glad to hear that you're uh, yeah, because you would think with your comedy background, you might be the seven or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm a fun person. I'm pretty easygoing for the most part. Um, 
but uh but yeah i don't need to be you know that that person's an annoying person to be around that's always on yeah you know and and it's exhausting it's exhausting to be it and it's exhausting to be around it and i don't want to be that guy totally agree and i uh i didn't i know some people who yeah 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 so i think we all do so if you're listening right now (laughs) and you're like is that me yes it is (laughs) cut it out Okay, on the risk meter, same question, one to five. Yeah. Where do you think you fall on the risk? And meter? you know, I'm gonna like I, I'm gonna break the meter again because uh, uh, with all the things that I've done in my career, I mean, how I do things now, I mean, it's definitely risky. Um, but I'm an accountant inside, and so you know, uh, they're all calculated risks. Uh, they're all uh, I'm not out on that much of a limb. That that you know, if people from the outside look and they're like, wow, like that's dangerous. Um, but it's kind of like the person that's on the, on the tightrope. I mean, you, you, you gradually get here and there are calculated risks to get here and there's safety nets and there's things in place that, that you feel like, you know, it's, it's not that dangerous. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still an accountant on the inside. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess as far as the risks go, yeah, maybe, I don't know, like a, a three and a half, let's say. Like I, I'm a little more risky than I am fun. I can't tell you how many people throw in the half. I love the half. And, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm doing the podcast too, though, is this relatability, right? That yeah. when you start looking at risk and, you know, someone might look at you and what you've done and being a keynote speaker, that is so risky. But yet yeah, yeah. when you learn about how you get there and that there is a methodology and there's training yeah. and there's obviously – you didn't go from being just um, – you know, someone on the street to then being a keynote. I mean, there's things that you've done. And so I think that's a big part of this podcast is relatability and bringing in the whole, um, when you look at someone from the outside, it seems so clear or it might seem like a high risk, but really there's, it's calculated and there were steps and it was natural for you and it was good. For sure. And one thing to add to that too is, is that it's, it's really easy to forget how far you've come, uh, and how much time and effort you've put in to get to where you're at. Because uh, you only know what you know. And it's easy for me to think, and I, I have this problem a lot of, well, everyone else knows what I think or what I know. and <laughs> If it, it, I can learn it, anybody can learn it, right? Right, and mm-hmm. I, I don't have a special power. I'm not, you know, some genius rocket scientist, whatever person. And uh, no, no, we all have experiences and uh, expertise and, and things that that other people don't. And uh, sharing that is is a good thing. And uh, don't forget to look back and realize mm-hmm. how far you've come. Uh, and because we're always looking ahead and trying to get that next level, uh, you know, don't forget that part. Yeah, sometimes you have to pause. And I guess as a life story curator, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of what I love there to do go. with people is say, you know, you need that time to reflect and we don't do it often enough. Yeah. I was just talking with a gal yesterday about a, I'm in this peer advisory group mm-hmm. and we meet monthly. And one of the big benefits is that every month I look back and what are my wins and successes? Because I also look at my goals and go, did I get my goals done? Right. But wins and successes, I start there and I celebrate and yeah, then yeah. I start looking at the goal. And many times I've already done it or sometimes I haven't, but I look at wins and successes. Yeah, yeah. So, and but, wins can be small. Yeah. You know, they don't have to be life-changing, you know, monster wins. Yeah. Uh, little things matter. They do matter. For sure. So. Well, great. Well, okay. So that's kind of the icebreaker. We get oh, I thought we were of... just done. Wait, I thought no, that was it. That was the interview. <laughs> but that's the interview. No. So, um, you know, so what I was just saying, so you're, you know, you didn't overnight become a keynote speaker and you started out your life in an accounting role, but yeah. let's start with, uh, kind of describe a little bit about what you do today and then we'll go sure. backward on. How okay. You got yeah. There. So, I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is I just help 
organizations of white color nerds, uh, lawyers, accountants, bankers, uh, insurance, uh, consultant type people. Uh, those organizations, uh, you know, keep their people from jumping to the competition. Uh, it's attracting and retaining top talent. In this day and age, I mean, it's at a huge demand. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and our people have outside passions and interests above and beyond their job. And uh, so the core of your organization's culture is those people's outside of work passions and interests. Because if you really think about it, that's the only thing that differentiates you from every other organization that does the same thing you do. So if you're an accounting firm and, you know, and I need a tax return done, I don't care what accounting firm does it because they're all going to do a tax return right. Mm -hmm. But this accounting firm has uh, you know, someone who's a mountain biker and this accounting firm has, you know, so if you're not going to talk about those things and you're going to rely on the technical expertise, then you're the same as everyone else. And your differentiator is the one thing that we want to leave outside the office. It's the one thing that professionalism tells us no one cares about, no one celebrates. It's the one thing that doesn't have a charge code. There isn't, you know, we don't get paid to socialize. I've heard all this yeah. stuff in my research. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really sad. And, um, and so, yeah, and it, what started that was uh, me speaking uh, at a conference and, uh, and someone remembered me from my PwC days 12 years prior. And he went to the meeting professional and said, oh, I know John Garrett. That's the guy who did comedy at night. And, because uh, you brought your outside life into Yeah, your... and on accident. Because uh -huh. someone said, oh, would you do this weekend? And, oh, I drove to Springfield, Illinois and did a comedy competition at the Funny Bone. Mm. And then they're like, what? And, what? and I never worked with this guy. I never uh, met him, I'm for sure, because he was in tax, and I don't even know how taxes work. He was at like three floors above me. Like he was not in my circle of people that I've ever met. And yet 12 years later, I'm on a short list of people that he immediately recalls. Wow. And so, and also for nothing work-related. Like I had mm -hmm. a really good resume. I was promoted early. I was definitely on a fast track. And he didn't know any of that or remember any of that. Um, and, you know... I think we all deserve that. 12 mm -hmm. years from today, what are people going to remember you for? And it's not work related, you know, unless you're like Milton in office space and you burn <laughs> the place down, like then they'll remember you, you know? <laughs> but like otherwise, that, yeah. no one's doing that. We're yeah. all good at our job. Yeah. We're all getting paid because we're good at our job. And unless you're like some savant that's way off the charts, like you invented some crazy thing, then yeah, it'd be, then the technical skills are gonna get you remembered. But that's not a differentiator. No. It's not. And so be good at what you do. Get the degree. Get the certifications necessary. But don't forget that there's a whole human side to you. And in my research, I found that provides you expertise. Yeah. Um, so it makes you better at your job. It's just not a nice to have. It straight up makes you better at your job. Well, it does. And it's funny. Getting to know you and hearing what you do, you've really caused me to think about my professional career. And when I think about in the early 90s coming into a corporate role of course I you know I'm trying to you know impress and prove myself and all those things and it was all about compartmentalizing yeah. I was a supervisor I didn't talk to my employees about personal stuff because oh no you can't cross that line it was yeah, a yeah. very but yet we would go out drinking right. and we were totally. doing happy hours and stuff but yeah. yet oh no I gotta keep this and so yeah. it was very so um Anyway, yeah, yeah, it really caused me to pause and think about, well, why was I that way for so long? And it wasn't until I got in more leadership training about 
being authentic and bringing more yeah. of who you are to that and showing that you're a human yeah. and that, yeah, I do do things outside of work. No, well, that means a lot. And, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, because I mean, I think it's important to note that like professionalism is is great up until it's not. And I think, I think anything's professional up until you start causing other people to not be able to do their job. So when I say get personal, it's not drama. It's not yeah. things that are, it's, it's just, if you're really passionate about something, uh, playing volleyball, for instance, in mm-hmm. your case, or for me, college football and ice cream, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to love college football no matter what job I have. So when I worked at PwC, I loved college football. When I went to Vesta Pharmaceuticals, I loved ph- college football. When I worked at uh, Clarion, I loved college football. I always love college football no matter mm-hmm. where I work. But my technical skills in the job that I did, totally different in all three of those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you, if you work for a company and you get promoted, now you're a manager, you're a supervisor, those roles – you're, you have a completely different skill set that you're using, but yet you still loved volleyball. Yeah. And so that's the eye of the storm with all the AI and disruption and technology, co- computers coming for our jobs, whatever. The only thing that doesn't change is who you really, really are. And, and it's a big deal. And, and I've talked to some of the companies that I consult with, some of the executives that are getting ready to retire, and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to go do. And that's really scary to me because you're in your early 60s. You have more money than you know what to do with. Yeah. And you don't know what you're going to look forward to. And uh, You're who everybody wants to be and you don't know what you want to do. Exactly. And they're like, I've been doing what I've been doing, but I don't have the money exactly. now. Exactly. And, and, it's, wow. and it's okay because in my research I found that uh, 92% of people have a passion or an interest outside of work. Mm-hmm. 92%. And it, there's 8% that love work. And that's great. And, but you have to understand that the people that are around you don't. Um, you know, they love their job and they're good at their job, but they also love something else. Yeah. And so uh, there's been studies shown that uh, there was one that done at Duke University that uh, people that have more dimensions to their life are less prone to anxiety and depression, which is a huge thing that clearly makes you a better professional That makes yeah. you better at your job. Uh, there was one study done at Northwestern that shows that people that have a huge barrier between their work life and their home life, mm-hmm. uh, make less moral decisions at work because they think, well, if I make a bad decision over here, that doesn't make me a bad parent. Yeah. Uh, but it does. And so the people that, that bring that barrier down, that bring the two together, I mean, the ultimate is you're able to talk about your passions at work, uh, what you love outside of work and share those, but then leverage that expertise yeah. and, and maybe well, and find a client in that industry yeah. or something. And it's how you relate to people, right? And yeah. if you can't share what some of what you got going on or have an interest in what they've got going on, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. It doesn't I mean, at the very so. least, it humanizes you. Yeah. And as a leader, it, it breaks down that door. So instead of, you know, go talk to the executive vice president, it's, no, just go talk to Kathy. She's yeah. right there. Yeah. She loves volleyball. Yeah. Go ask her about her game. Like. <laughs> yeah. She's a real person, you know, and, and that makes you just more authentic and makes you a leader instead of uh, a manager, yeah. you know, someone that people actually want to follow. Yeah. And be yeah. around. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's go way back. Oh, so boy. You're, uh, you're in high school. <laughs> you're trying to decide, well, oh, where do I want to go to college? What am I going to specialize? <laughs> I mean, how did you know what you want to do? I mean, that's a big yeah. part of this podcast, too, is totally. what you're doing today isn't necessarily what you started nope. out wanting to do. So. I didn't even know this was a job. <laughs> so, <and laughs> yeah, I, oh, yeah. I still don't even think it's a job, to be honest. <laughs> you just get paid for being you, man. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's, <laughs> uh, it's pretty insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, in high school... 
I was all about, uh, I actually got uh, both a Navy and Army ROTC scholarships. Um, I was all about engineering. Um, I was going to be electrical engineering, going to the nuclear uh, submarine program with the Navy. Uh, that was that was the, the, the map. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what was going to happen. And uh, I went to a tiny high school, West Glen High School outside of uh, St. Louis in Illinois. And uh, I was, uh, my senior year was the first year my high school had calculus. Um, so I went from that to uh, Notre Dame and uh, got demolished, absolutely demolished. I mean, kids in, came coming in uh, that were in my physics class and my chemistry classes uh, were had AP credit. I only knew that as a football poll. I didn't know that AP was like, I didn't even know it was a thing. And it, like, I didn't. And so the, a lot of it was review for them. And so I was just getting just hammered. And uh, yeah, at the end of my freshman year, my first semester, I had a 2.2. Uh, and then, uh, killing it, just killing it. And and not, not because I wasn't trying, (laughs) I was in remedial everything. I was getting extra help from the, the TAs. I was doing whatever I could just trying to learn this and it just wasn't clicking. And, uh, it was hard. It was really hard. And, uh, and yeah. And then, uh, uh, I remember I was in my, uh, my second semester physics and there was a uh, one of the it was, it was blue books. I don't know if anybody had those in college, but it, there were like three questions on the exam. But it's like two hours because there's 47 parts to each oh question, and so you have this blue book of lined paper, and you open the blue book and you just have to start doing all the work and. And they're, and they're going to look at all your work, right? Totally. Yeah. So totally. not just get the answer. It was, and it was, and it was one of the questions was like, there's a frog on a disc in the middle of the forest, and the frog <laughs> weighs this many kilograms, and it jumps off the disc at this angle. What happens to the rate of the disc? And I out loud said, who cares? Like, who cares? Well, what happened to the frog is what yeah, I want to know. Did he die? Real. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even know. He like, is eaten by a lion. No. Totally. And I, I just went up and I turned it in and I went to the guidance and I was like, I need to go to business because I, I do not that. know what this means. And I was out and uh, yeah. And, and so like everything just turned upside down. So when and, I ask how you make decisions and how you do where you want to go in life, yeah. That was a very pivotal moment for you. You're like, I just just huge for me. Wow. And, and yeah, and I mean, I and I mean, Notre Dame was always on my radar. And then I guess my junior year of high school, I wrote down, what do I want in a school? Um, I never met anyone that went to Notre Dame. I'm the first Garrett to go straight from high school to college. So like, I didn't have anything to go off of. My dad at night got his undergrad and his master's, um, uh, but I was a young kid. And so I never got to really see that. And the amount of, I can't even imagine that right now, having a family and doing that at night, wow. like is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and having a job, yeah. yeah. Breadwinner, going to school, having a family. Totally, yeah. totally. And, uh, and because of that, um, my parents were amazing and saying, you know, wherever you get into school, we'll figure that out. And, uh, I still, to this day have no clue how they did that financially. Um, but, uh, but I just wrote down what I wanted in a school and then started looking at, um, my options and what was out there. And it just matched exactly what Notre Dame was. Uh, took a visit at the end of my junior year and I was like, this is it. Like I, there's no backup school. And, uh, everyone's like, well, I think you should have a backup school. <laughs> and, oh no, and, I don't uh, need a backup school. Yeah, no, not to there. They're no. going to take me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I was fortunate enough to get in. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then just, it all played out from there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's going way back. Wow. Way back. Yeah. 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 And, and I, then what was the yeah. first job then out of? Yeah. So, uh, okay. So you got into business. Yeah. Business so went into the business program. So your sophomore year is kind of a little bit of everything, a little bit of finance, accounting, 
uh, at the time it was called management information systems, so mm, like computer yeah. stuff, and then uh, um, I guess marketing, yeah. And uh, I didn't have cool enough ties to do marketing, I think, because they were always the, like, everyone, like, you could just tell, oh, you're marketing, because it's like an orange tie or a bright tie or whatever. And at the time, I didn't have those. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so I was like, well, what's the one that I can get with the lowest GPA and still get a good job? And and the accounting program at Notre Dame is top five every year. Um, and so uh, I was like, all right, that. And plus, it, it prolonged my grow-up decision, because with an accounting degree, Everyone cares about the numbers always. So even if you, you you can get an accounting undergrad and still go into marketing, you can still go into finance, you can still go into management, uh, yeah. but you can't go the other way around um, because everyone wants to know at the end of the day, what's the PL, what's the balance sheet going to look mm-hmm. like? And even if you're in marketing, like what's the ROI on this? You still have to be able to calculate dollars. So it gives you that financial acumen totally. at a deep level. I totally. Mean, yeah, so if you don't know and you want to mm-hmm. go business accounting, you have to take uh, if you don't major in it, you need to have accounting classes because at the end of the day, dollars are involved because that's why you're a business. Uh, even if you're a nonprofit in label, uh, there's still money being made here. Yeah. Um, because you're not going to be a, a nonprofit as a business for long if you don't make money because you can't keep the lights on. Well, and as I like to say, nonprofit is a tax status. Totally. <laughs> it's not a business totally. model. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and so I, I went accounting and then was fortunate enough to get an offer from PricewaterhouseCoopers. At the time it was Pricewaterhouse. They merged with Coopers and Librand over the summer. So I only know PwC. Uh, I got rejected from everyone else. I got rejected from Arthur Anderson. I got rejected from EY. I got rejected from Deloitte. I got rejected from BKD. I got rejected from uh, uh, BDO Seedman. I got rejected from all of the big, uh, I mean, all the big, uh, at the time it was big six uh, and the regionals as well. Uh, Rejected from all of them. Uh, except for PwC. And, uh, and I was able to do this like kind of pilot program with them. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I'll be the guinea pig, I'll whatever. And, uh, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, you just have to get that opportunity and then kick the door down and go in and, and knock it out. And at no point, uh, did I not belong? Um, and, uh, cause I was kind of worried, you know, well, you know, man, I backdoored this, you know, I totally yeah. Indiana Jones, like slid <laughs> under the door as it's coming down. And then I got there and I was like, no, this is crazy. Like the fact that I didn't have an offer before this is insane. Yeah. Um, but you know, the way that recruiting happens, the way that things happen regionally and things like that. Um, it was, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was an awesome opportunity. I really, Really enjoyed my time at PwC, and and I was in a rotational program, so I was able to get a little bit of flavor. Here's three months of computer controls. Here's three months of merger acquisition. Here's three months of uh, uh, efficiencies and like internal audit sort of. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was really awesome for a, it was like a, a 15 month program, uh, and then at the end of that, it's you and the firm decide which uh, which one to go into. Wow. Yeah. So they've really taken it to a science of, well, let's find out, you know, give you a breadth and depth of it yeah. versus just plugging you into one and hoping that that's yeah. going to be the and right if, one for you. If so. they had put me straight into audit, uh, I would have quit in probably three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not for me. But you knew you could stick things out for three months at least and kind of, I yeah. mean, were you pretty open-minded to, oh, well, let's try this for three months and, you know. Well, and, and they were and also the that. advisory services. So it was more of the forward-thinking things. Oh. Tax and audit are more of this already happened and I'm coming in to, the, the, the phrase is, 
you go in after the battle and count the bodies. Ah. You know, no, I want to be at the front of the battle. I want to be making things better. I want to make businesses run better. I want to merge companies. I want to make things, you know, run more efficiently. Uh, that's the way my brain works. And yeah. I feel better about myself at the end of the day than coming in as an auditor and busting some poor woman who's been doing this job longer than I've been alive. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. that like I'm not that guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, uh, it, uh, it all worked out, I think. Um, yeah. so you were, so you didn't have your CPA at that time. Yeah. Not, not when I graduated. No, no okay. cause so you have to have some work experience. You have to take the exam. Oh, okay. So yeah. So two took me two swings on the exam. Um, it's really hard to pass. They say it's even harder than the bar. So, you know, uh, take it for whatever that's worth. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard. So, but I was able to pass it and then you have to have, also have work experience. So it takes about a year and a half, two years, depending on the state to get licensed. If and you then will. when you're at price, do they kind of, um, do they have a training program to help you get through that or do they give you any time? to get through that or do they uh, encourage it or at the to... time they definitely encourage it i mean mm -hmm. it's it's definitely something that if you have an accounting degree you should just get the cpa i mean it, it's just it's just an extra level of um dedication i guess and shows that you i, I mean the, the thing about the cpa exam though is that uh you study let's say 100 topics and the exam is on two so <laughs> you just and, and and when i opened the book uh, one of the sections, there's four sections. One of the sections was on a client, the exact same work I was doing at a client. So it was divine. I mean, it was divine intervention. It was like, I probably wouldn't have passed if it wasn't like, oh my God, I do this every day. Like, you know, and so, you know, it, it definitely came in handy in that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just shows that, that you've taken the time to study and to learn. And if I had to take it again, there's no way I'd pass, yeah. but um, you know, I so think your mindset was, I'm definitely going to get the CPA or were you on the fence at some point of, you know, is still accounting my thing now? Or were you just kind of, oh, here's my next step. I'm just going to follow in this path. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess the thing is, is that with an accounting degree, it's, there's so many different things that you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I knew that it, traditional accounting wasn't my thing, but using the accounting knowledge in a, in a proactive way was, um, and, and everyone else was getting the CPA as well. Uh, and, um, and I think it was just one of those things. It was kind of just a, a challenge, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's not an easy thing. Um, and so I guess that made me just buckle down even more and, and do it when you're young, do it when you're right out of school, because more of that information is fresh mm -hmm. and you can take the time to, to study and just set that time aside. Once you get a family or you're more active in other things, then yeah, it's yeah. going it to be really hard. It gets on that someday list. And exactly. Then, which exactly. means no day. Actually. Yeah, right, right. So, so then, how, okay, so give us a few more steps on the path here. Then. Oh, man, when so did many. you start doing comedy? When did that so come So many steps. Picture? Yeah, so when I was with PwC with that rotational program, we would have a training every three months for the new group. And it was not just us. It was us with the people that were actually being hired full-time in that group. So there was uh, the computer controls training happened to be in Pasadena, California. Uh, and uh, I had never seen, uh, I think my in my junior year of college, David Spade came to, so that was the extent of the stand-up I had seen, but he was from Saturday Night Live, so I didn't see it as stand-up comedy, and it was also in the basketball arena, so it was different. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway was uh, a show uh, for your listeners that don't know, Drew Carey and yeah, uh, Colin I, Mockery and Ryan Styles and Brad Sherwood and uh, Wayne Brady, that's where he blew up out of. 
And, it was a very um, unique show too. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah short especially for, short for prime form. time. Yeah. Yeah, short form improv, and uh, um, and so uh, they would tape in the studio, but then after that they would go to the improv in Hollywood, uh, comedy club on Melrose, and they would do a forty-five minute uncensored um, show. Wayne Brady wouldn't come, but the others would be there. Oh wow! And so before and after them were comedians doing ten to twelve minute sets. And it was on a Thursday night. And um, so we were there for three or four weeks. And so every, we would rent a car. There were four or five of us that would get in the rental and drive down and go every Thursday. And uh, so I got to see live stand-up comedy. And, and the Improv's not a huge comedy club. Um, the impact on the comedy world is huge, but the room itself is small. And so I'm sitting there and Drew Carey's like right next to you at the table right there. And then afterwards you're able to hang out and get a beer with them and, and talk to them. And, and also the comedians cool that, that, that performed. Oh, it's great. One, one night Adam Sandler came in at the very end as an un, unannounced guest. How did you and, get into it if it was such a small venue? And... Well, you just get a ticket and go. I mean, if, if you live in LA, there's a hundred million other things to go do yeah. and, and no one cares and, and celebrities don't matter and all that. And, and I was just more intrigued by seeing it live and in person and up mm-hmm. close and uh and it was great i mean it was really awesome but but it, i got to see like some comedians were amazing that night and some were not and i thought well i could be as not good as that person <laughs> and i live in st louis at the time and you know i mean that's got got to be a step down and even though it's not i mean there's no barrier to entry to move to la but you yeah. know if you're on that show you're probably got some sort of reputation, you're probably decent. Um, so yeah, it just gave me the confidence to do that. And so I uh, sat on it and uh, got a legal notepad from work uh, when I got back to St. Louis in the, the supply closet and just started writing down just ideas of jokes. And uh, yeah, went up at the open mic. It was February 1st, 2000. Um, and uh, yeah, went in the open mic there. And uh, yeah, it was a, a five-minute set, and uh, I have it on video, uh, which is pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, the night before, I went, <laughs> I went to my parents' house, and I was like, yeah, so I'm going to do this. And the, my mom's like, well, you know, it's just you up there. And I'm like, yeah, I've done the research. Like, I, the accountant in me, I've done all the calculated risks. Like, I've done this. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, I have these ideas. And so I, wrote, I read the list of here's my joke ideas. Now, in my parents' defense... I didn't actually do the joke. I didn't do the punchline. It was more the concept. Yeah. The only two responses I got was one time my dad said, uh, you can't say that. And another time my mom said, we didn't raise you that way. Oh, my. And that's the only reaction. No laughter, no laughter, no. And I was sweating bullets. I went to my buddy's apartment where a couple of them lived. And they were like, no, no, that's good. That's funny. The next night, my mom uh, brought the video camera. She's filming. And amateur 101. we didn't put it on a tripod, which is clearly what you do. She's holding the video camera. And so when you watch the video, it's her laughing. Yeah. My parents laughing the hardest out of anyone else in the room. 24 hours ago, nothing. You can't Crickets. say that. We didn't yeah. raise you that way. Crickets. And I'm like, you guys are killing me. Uh, so, yeah. So then that just went up and then just would do it on occasion um, and just do it for fun. And, uh, yeah, and just, you know, just – take it as a challenge and it challenged another side of my brain than what accounting did and what my PwC job did. Um, and so it was just a creative outlet and something that was fun for me to do. 
So then you, did you keep doing open mic then for a while? Oh, yeah, you, yeah. Okay, so yeah. then how many hours? I mean, back to, you know, Gladwell's 10,000 uh, hours. Do you feel uh, like you got 10,000 hours? A billion hours. hours. Uh, yeah, I've been on stage over 2,000 times now. So that combined with the writing I mean, for every joke that you see that's good, uh, there's, you know, 25 or more that are terrible. Um, and the, the bad thing about comedy is that you can only try it out in front of a live audience. Uh, like, if you're in a band, you can practice in your parents' basement forever and know that you suck. Um, but then you also know that you're getting better. Yes. And But, yeah, well, yeah, but it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Oh, and yeah. comedy is hard. And that the hardest part is you saying something that you think is hilarious – and strangers telling you that it is definitely not. not really. <laughs> and very quickly. Very and you quickly. know right away. But the weird thing too is is that there's also those moments where when you say something and a group of complete strangers all immediately laugh. Uh, that's their only reaction is that. And that's a cool feeling to have. Um, and, and it's definitely a, a drug of sorts that you can get addicted to uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, and, and it's also why the silence is so silent, um, because when I'm on stage and I'm in front of so many people, uh, you know, some of these comedy clubs are 400 plus people or some theaters that I've done a, a thousand, uh, when I opened for Louis Anderson and, uh, that's a lot of people, yeah. uh, or, you know, opening for the band train in front of almost 3000 people. That's more than my hometown. And, and and that's a lot of laughter. And then not an hour later, I'm in my hotel room by myself in silence, you know. And so there's that, that yo-yo that you're always on, which, you know, is hard for, for comedians, which is why they turn to other things, you know, yeah. to fill that gap, um, which, is, which is hard to see. Yeah. So are you an introvert, extrovert? Definitely an introvert. Uh, definitely an introvert. And, uh, um, but you know, and people see you on are. stage. People yeah, probably think you're an extrovert, but but, but it's also because and, and Johnny Carson uh, talked about this a lot too. Was he he never felt like he was performing for millions of people on TV. He was performing for the camera for one, and mm -hmm. and so Johnny Carson, many stories, friends of mine that did Carson back in the day, and 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 you know told these stories. If if he was out in a in a large group. Uh, he, he had to go like he couldn't function he couldn't talk he couldn't he, and, and um i can handle that um but i i prefer the one-on-ones or the the group of four and mm -hmm. you know if i go to a gathering or a networking thing or a party you know i'll be in the corner and talking to like two people the entire night and people will be like oh was so-and-so there i don't know because i talked to these two or three people and that was it and had a wonderful conversation and it was amazing yeah. and it was great <laughs> And, you know, and people probably didn't even know I was there. And that's totally yeah. fine with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and yeah, so definitely introverted. And I think more people are introverted than extroverted. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, it makes it, it's, it's hard. But I'm also like super observant. Uh, that's the comedian side of yeah. me is we just look at the world through a different lens. Um, well, and I like bringing up the introvert extrovert. It's come up almost in every podcast about people talking about how that, how they show up in the world. Yeah. And when I was in corporate, I was in, in the middle. I'm a middle child and everything. I do uh, tends to be in the middle. But anyway, yeah. between the introvert extrovert, but because I was surrounded by people, I had to back away to get my energy uh, by myself. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm by myself a lot, now I find yeah. I have to find people to That's get true. some energy. So it is kind of, I don't know, it's a pendulum No, no, for me, I hear but, you on that. I hear you Maybe because I'm in the middle there. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I'm on stage as a speaker or before as a comedian, 
I'm giving a lot of myself to each of those people. So, you know, if there's an audience of 400 people at a conference, I'm giving a piece of myself to all 400 people, wow. which is exhausting. Yeah. It's mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. Uh, it's emotionally exhausting. And so that's why, um, you know, that, that alone time to recharge is, is huge. Uh, and, and people don't, don't necessarily understand that. But when someone's in front of the room, they're giving a piece of themselves to each one of you. And, uh, you know, if they care, then, you know, that's, that's going to take a toll. Yeah. So how long did you do the comedy thing then? And, yeah. and was it ever your full-time gig or did you always have kind of a full-time paycheck coming in and this was a... Yeah, so I, uh, February 2000 was my first time on stage and then in May of 2005, uh, sort of a perfect storm of things. I had left PwC and gone to industry, uh, which means a, a nine-to-five job where you don't travel, not the consulting role. So I was with Clarion Health, which is a huge hospital network. It's now called IU Health. Uh, with Indiana University, but it was uh, five large hospitals in Indiana and two uh, foundations and a couple of other things, and I was in the finance department of that uh, there, and um, we had a new manager come in who, uh, uh, frankly, was, uh, I did not respect. Um, from an intelligence perspective, from a character's perspective, from everything perspective, mm -hmm. uh, I cannot work for you. Um, and uh, so everything just sort of came to a head in that. At the same time, I was getting on the Bob and Tom show, which is a nationally syndicated morning radio show. Uh, I was opening for Louis Anderson and some casinos, uh, resort places. I was getting some cool opportunities stand-up wise. Yeah. And it just sort of reached kind of this perfect storm uh, of I'm going to make the jump. And I don't advocate that anyone does this. Uh, I, let me just be a, like blunt. <laughs> do not do this. It is crazy hard uh, because uh, basically when you're starting your own business, um, and, and especially if it's your passion, uh, and, it's, and it's something that isn't necessarily like super revenue generating, an art form, um, it's hard and you have to get, I call it escape velocity. So when a rocket launches off of earth, you have to get that escape velocity in order to get up into space. Mm -hmm. And so that's not easy. And that's where all the gas is burned. Uh, and so you have to get that escape velocity to get out. And so it's just, you just run as hard as you can and it's scary and you don't know how much money you're going to make you don't know when the next thing's going to happen um and it's just this weird place to be and once you get into outer space it gets even worse because there's no up and there's no down and there's no left there's no career path to follow there's no model uh, how did jay leno get the tonight show how did david letterman get the you know the the late show how did jimmy fallon get the tonight show now how did conan get his show all totally different ways you know, Conan yeah. wrote for The Simpsons. That's how he got in. You know, Leno was doing stand-up everywhere. Letterman was a weatherman for the love of God. Uh, you know, uh, Fallon came through SNL. Uh, totally different routes. Yeah. There's, not a, there's not a path to follow. And so it's really hard yeah. to, to, to when you get out here to, to find your way. Uh, so just word of caution, uh, don't say I told you because I, <laughs> I told you not, not to. <laughs> Keep it as a hobby and, and, and keep it as a hobby um, uh -huh. because when it's a hobby, it's great. Yeah. Uh, when it becomes your, your job, it, things change 
in a big way. And so, yeah, so uh, made that leap. Uh, I talked with uh, Wayne Cotter, who hosted A&E's evening at the Improv uh, in the late 80s. Uh, really great guy. He worked for IBM back in the day. And uh, so did Jeff Foxworthy, actually. Um, and uh, and so he, he made the jump. And so I'd done some shows with him. And he was like, I gave him a call and I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he's like, well, what do you have to lose? You know, you have an accounting degree from Notre Dame, you have CPA, you can get a job tomorrow. Like, you know, you just have to set goals for yourself and give it a shot six months, see what happens Mm -hmm. and then go get a job, you know, but, but if you don't, then that'll always eat at you. If you're at this place in your life where you can make that happen, Yeah. give it a shot. But for 99.9% of people, uh, it's, you don't have that. You're not at that place. Yeah. Uh, you're married. You have a mortgage. You have kids. You know all these other things uh, that that factor into that. Um, you know, but but second best scenario is, and maybe even first best because then you have health insurance. Is keep your job, <laughs> but weave that into your work. You yeah. know, weave that into your work conversations. We that's what I do to talk about now. Is you know you're probably not very good at playing the piano enough to make a living at it or at a living at the place where you're at now, um, but you're good enough to play it for fun and you love it. And you know what? You're better than anyone else that you work with. So who cares? And even if you're not, you still love it and you now you have something to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, but it's, it's, it's hard. You know, it's really hard. So yeah, so I had an Infiniti G35, had a corporate job. I sold that, got a used Honda Civic. Uh, there was a couple that I went to high school with that had moved to Indianapolis. Uh, I uh, rented a bedroom from them because I was gone... 20 days out of the month at least or more um and so they would get my mail and i'd come home and do my laundry and pay my bills and then leave again and uh go out on the road for five days and come back and rinse and repeat and yeah and so now it's over two thousand times been on stage and uh yeah and i've driven everywhere um because they don't pay you enough to fly so oh geez yeah so i mean yeah i mean anywhere so not quite as glamorous as people might no think it is it not is. at all like uh the comedy behind the scenes is pretty ugly yeah it's very ugly it's a dark dark the yin and the yang there is definitely happening where and then you did some writing as well so you're doing stand-up yeah. but then you also ended up doing some writing is, is that a more stable side of the business? I mean, it can be, it can be until, uh, you know, someone wants to retire or the ratings go down or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, but uh, so with, uh, graduating from Notre Dame, I was able to get an opportunity to write their award show for the football team that airs on NBCSN. So, uh, uh, this will be my fifth year, uh, coming up. Um, uh, that'll air and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm the guy behind the guy. So I write the whole award show. Uh, there's a monologue up front. So the first year was with Dan Hicks and Hannah Storm. Hannah's on ESPN and Dan was doing the play-by-play for ESPN or for NBC at the time. And Hannah's an alum. So, and they're married. So, uh, yeah. So I wrote that. Uh, I meet them that morning, which is very You're hard. kidding. Yeah. It, it's insane. And then, uh, and then I coached them up on how to be slightly funny. Uh, and Dan's actually really funny. Um, and then, uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm backstage and just praying that the jokes work because no one's ever heard them before. And then, uh, yeah. And then uh, a couple of years ago was Jerome Bettis, who was an alum as well. And then, uh, 
Aaron Taylor, who was an offensive lineman with the, the Green Bay Packers when they won the Super Bowl. And then this year will be Ryan Harris. They're all Notre Dame football alums. So, again, you meet them for the first time that morning, yeah. coach them up, and then off they go. And you yeah, think, well, then wow. I'm with you during the, yeah. during the show. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's really intense. But the cool thing is, is two of those were nominated for Emmys, which is, like, really amazing. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah I know. It's cool. It's, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's uh, you know, it's nuts. And some people are like, well, when are you going to win one? I'm like, when have you been nominated? You <laughs> you know, like, I'll take a nomination all day every yeah, day. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, because that's a short list. So um, so how yeah. do you translate comedy now back into business? So it seems like you were all in business, started doing the comedy, then you were all comedy. Yeah. Now, now you're back. Are you, are you doing yeah. both, kind of? Or so now I marry you... the two. Um, mm-hmm. So now I have my, my CPA corporate life that I had, and then I have my comedy life that I had. And so it's kind of marrying the two together. So it's bringing some of that comedy and engagement and uh, just uh, owning a room to conferences and board retreats and executive retreats and all staff meetings. Uh, and then now with my message, that is my story, uh, as well as the story of all the people I've interviewed on my podcast, um, is, uh, is kind, of, kind of where I'm at now. So it's, it's kind of like I had to go through all the hard things to get to the good things. Um, and, and in the moment it's terrible (laughs) and you don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, and it feels like a zigzag and I don't know. And then now where I'm at now, and I look backwards, uh, it's a straight line. It's a complete Mm -hmm. straight line. Like had, uh, I was medically disqualified on those ROTC scholarships, uh, for like a breathing condition and it was during the Gulf war. So if you had a breathing thing, they didn't want you in a desert. I get it. Had I gotten that ROTC scholarship, I would not be where I am today. Yeah. Had I uh, been, uh, you know, not not done that PWC program, I would have never gone to the improv in Hollywood, and I would never have done stand-up. Uh, you know, and, and had I not had some other things where I'm like, you know, let's give it a shot, and why not? And had I not had that manager get hired that was terrible, uh, I would have never left. Yeah. Um, you know, and so... Looking back on it now, it's a straight line. In the moment, it's absolute chaos. Yeah. Um, and and I wish that there was a way to be able to see into the future to to make it better. But but you you definitely get stronger. It's it's for sure. You get stronger going through those hard things. And and um, and now I mean. Like as a speaker now, I can walk into any conference and people, I mean, I, I do a lot of, like I said, the white collar nerds. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was, did a group of lawyers in Boston and people were like, oh, it's a bunch of lawyers. And I'm like, I don't care. Like I've done comedy in places that you do not, you know, where you're in a bar and there's a playoff football game on and they ask you to turn the comedy down because they're trying to watch the game. Or, or they're like playing pool in front of where the stage is and they won't quit playing pool while the comedy's while happening. The com- or, oh. you know, like, I mean, I've done it all. And, you know, or you stay and you know, the comedy club puts you in a, a house that the owner is trying to flip. So at, you know, there's no furniture, there's no stove. Uh, at 7 a.m., the work contractors come in to blow out the tile in the basement and uh, no one changed the sheets from the week before. And yeah, and you're just like, you just, I've done it all, and you don't even know, like, I mean, it's crazy the things that I've done and seen uh, to get to where I am now, yeah. and, and you just have to have, you know, a real passion for it if you're going to make a go for whatever as your job, like you have, and you have a true passion for that, for the yeah. storytelling and for the, the curating that, um, and, and if you don't, then you'll never make it. 
because every single day someone punches me in the face. Yeah. Every single day, whether it's someone in an audience or it's a, a meeting professional or it's somebody that's choosing the speaker for a conference that doesn't pick me or whatever it is, every single day. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you just get numb on the inside or if you're just stronger and confident and know that things will come together. Yeah. Well, things will come together because 12 years ago, someone saw you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or they said, hey, that's the guy that did the comedy. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I love that you said that, you know, looking back, it looks like a straight line. And it really connects us back to where we started this conversation, which was yeah. sometimes you have to pause and reflect on yeah. what you've accomplished and what you've done. Yeah. And so that's an, an amazing part of uh, what you've just described. So did you wake up one day? Because this is what I think is important for people who are feeling stuck or in transition or... Yeah. Um, you know, they're in a role, they're going, I don't know what to do next. Did you wake up one day and go, you know what, I really need to stop being on the road so much. There's an application here in business. I mean, how did you make that kind of, or did you just say, you know what, I need to go back and get a real job. And then as soon as you got it, you're like, oh, there's a thing here about being a keynote and yeah, no, this is another really hard story. Uh, where, uh, so living in New York city, um, doing comedy, um, I lived there almost 10 years and, uh, uh, make some great connections. Uh, and so I was on the radar for a letterman spot, which as a comedian is a bit of the Holy grail. Yes. Um, I mean, even more than the tonight show, I would say, um, it's just the, a letterman spot. Is, well, is I'm guessing huge. at that time that was right at his peak. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, know, I mean, you and, were right at the, yeah. 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 I mean, and, and, um, and so I was on the radar, which is great. Um, and then, uh, I had gone in to interview at the Colbert Report. I had sent in my writing packet. And a lot of times uh, when they have an opening for a writing position, uh, the people that make the final cut are people that somebody already knows uh, mm -hmm. through UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, or I wrote with that person on another show or whatever. Uh, my packet made the final cut. So that was huge because I'm out of nowhere. Uh, no one knows who I am. And uh, I didn't get hired for the writing position. Um, but... Uh, people at least knew who I was. And so I parlayed that into an interview with the executive producer to be a field producer. So that's anything that happens outside the studio. So if Steven's on the street or anywhere like shooting a segment uh, where we sh you, you shoot it on video, you edit it, and then you show it during the show. Yeah. It's not live. Um, and so to be a field producer is great because uh, I had both the right brain and the left brain where, uh, you know, the accounting side of me can stay on budget um, money-wise, but the creative side of me, when we're in the moment, can be like, you know what would be hilarious? This. Shoot that. So they loved it. And so that was pretty much going to happen. And then the next week, Letterman announces he's retiring. So now I'm not going to get a Letterman spot. Then about 10 days later, it comes out that Colbert is going to take over for Letterman, so Comedy Central has a hiring freeze. So awesome. So now two things that would have been really awesome to tell your listeners as, wow, I was on Letterman and I was a field producer for Colbert didn't happen. And it's not because I'm not good at what I do. It's just the universe. And, you know, that's it. it, it it's it was terrible in the moment where you're laying in bed at night looking at the ceiling like, what in the hell am I doing all this for? Yeah. And I don't and even control my own... And this is my big own... break. And here yeah. I've worked all these hours and this was going to be it. And, exactly. Yeah. And I don't control my own destiny. And so that's when I was like, you know what? The corporate market's always been calling and I'm going to go see what this is all about. 
And so I was mostly doing entertainment, uh, emceeing. Uh, that's what I was good at. That's what I did. And then when I had uh, this person remember me 12 years later, I was like, wow, there's something here. And so that became the seed of this huge foundation of now what's your and? You know, where you're an accountant and a cyclist, you're an engineer and a, a painter. You're, no one cares about the first part. Uh, they really don't. Yeah, um, they really care about the second part. I mean, I've yeah. listened to several of your podcasts, and I can tell you each one of what their and is. I can't even tell you what their no. jobs are. I think there's something yeah. accounting, blah blah blah. Let's yeah. get to the. Oh wait, you were binge watching Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm like that right. guy. I'm like, oh my god, that was yeah. me. Yeah. No, totally. So, it's it's that's exactly it. So yeah. Well, John, I gotta say, so what I've learned through these podcasts is that my timer runs out at 59 minutes, 59 seconds. Okay. So we're at 55 here. So I do need to wrap this up, but yeah. I can talk to you. I mean, this is just to me. This is what, what the podcast is for us. How do we relate? How are these decisions? You know, how do you get unstuck? How do you face a big setback like that and then yeah. turn it into something else and open another door? And I'm sure it was, you know, traumatic at the time, but yet look at where you are. And like you said, when you look backward, yeah, it's, it's really what has propelled you forward. Yeah, it's and, and crazy. I took a class in college of decision trees uh, where, you know, you have two or three options and then off of those options, there are options. And then off of those, all of those there are options. And then you can give a weighted percentage to all of those things. And then you, that's how you decide which one to do. Uh, and my brain just works that way where I'm able to just like extrapolate out into, well, this is what I think I should do next. But yeah, I mean, if you're stuck, I mean, talk to people, uh, talk to the people that you work with. If you don't think that's safe, talk to your peers, talk to people outside. Um, you, you have to get guidance from people that have done it before. Um, you know, yeah, I thought that leaving big four was great, but, or leaving public accounting was great, but then I went to industry and it was terrible. So, mm, you know, don't yeah. do that. Or if you're going to do it, know why you're doing it or what you're going to get out of it or your expectations going in. I think that that's a lot of uh, situations with people is they have different expectations than what happens. And then that's when we get dis disappointed and yeah. jaded and disengaged. And so if you have different expectations, then everything's different. Um, everything's better usually. Um, and so, you know, it's just, just reach out. Don't stay stuck. Like, man, you only, you get one swing at this life, you know, do it. And, you know, and, and, and don't forget those hobbies and passions, those things that you actually love to do. Um, keep those uh, in your back pocket and, and keep doing those. It doesn't have to be every day. Do it once a quarter, once every six months, but just do them and then share them with the people around you because then everything becomes magical. Uh, you, you get real connections there and real, real depth. So that's what I would wow. tell, tell your listeners. Well, thank you for that last bit. Why didn't you do that, that in the first two yeah. minutes, John? <laughs> So. Okay. Well, on that note, we will go ahead and wrap up. Yeah. And um, listeners, if you like today's podcast, uh, please subscribe and then also post any comments. And I'll also put John's podcast as well as your information on, on my web on so my awesome. website so that yeah. people can find you because yeah. if they need a keynote speaker, uh, obviously they should be calling you. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Kathy. So, this was a lot of fun. Thank you awesome. so much. And you have a great rest of your day. Absolutely.